On April 18, 1906, a magnitude 7.9 earthquake occurred off the coast of California, which devastated the city of San Francisco. The problem was that much of the city was built on reclaimed land uh, rather than bedrock. And by reclaimed land, what we mean is it had previously been either marshland or the San Francisco Bay, and they had systematically filled it in with sediment dredged up from the bottom of the bay, dried it out, and then built on it. And when the earthquake occurred, that loose, sandy, sedimentary soil essentially turned into a liquid. As a liquid, this soil lost the ability to support large structures, and at the same time, it meant that buried things that were light, like pipes, floated to the surface and broke as they floated up. The ground itself would ooze and flow downhill like a slow mudslide. This liquefaction caused massive structural damage to the buildings on the surface, but more importantly, it severely damaged the city's buried water system. And so with no functioning water system, when fire broke out in the business district, the fire couldn't be contained. What would have been a bad situation turned into a catastrophe as the fire burned out of control for four days, destroying 28,000 buildings across 500 city blocks. It's estimated that 3,000 people died and another quarter of a million lost their homes. It dramatically illustrates to us the importance of building on a firm foundation and thus introduces us to the parable we're going to be looking at today. A parable that compels us to ask whether we have built our lives on a firm foundation that can withstand disaster. Hear now the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is a parable that, quite honestly, has never failed to capture my attention. Even back when I was a relatively unchurched kid, this has moved me and challenged me. Because the message is very simple. Build your life on Christ and His commands. So I want us to think very carefully about this parable of the two builders. And I want us to begin by considering the context in which Jesus spoke. This parable is the conclusion of a sermon, what is often called the Sermon on the Plain, which is similar to its more famous cousin, the Sermon on the Mount. But it teaches us very difficult material, very challenging material about how we should live our lives. Right Throughout this sermon, Jesus describes blessings upon the poor and the hungry and the sorrowful and those who are hated for his sake. 
He condemns those who are reveling in earthly riches. He commands us to love our enemies and to bless them and to turn the other cheek when they attack us and to to give generously even when we're being taken advantage of. He commanded us not to condemn others, but to forgive freely. He commanded us to, to practice justice and to relentlessly examine our own lives for sin and, and be quick to confess our guilt to God and to the person that we have wronged. He explained that our actions reveal the true condition of our heart. For better or for worse, our actions don't lie. And then he comes to this concluding parable that wraps the whole thing up and emphasizes we're actually supposed to do that stuff. Right? All of these incredibly difficult and, and countercultural, and they were countercultural in the first century, and they are countercultural in the 21st century. He says, I meant it. That's the point of the parable. His teachings are not some abstract or irrelevant ideal. They are his expectations for every person who claims his name and says that they are a Christian. Now, as we have said before, the parables are comparisons. That's what it means to be a parable. And and Jesus compares us to two very different home builders. In verses 47 and 48, he first compares everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Then in verse 49, he compares the one who hears and does not do them. He's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. See, Jesus is comparing two types of people here. Those who come to him and hear his words and obey them. That's the first group. And those who come to him and hear his words and ignore them. That's the second group. Here's the the challenging thing. Both groups of people would call themselves Christians. Both groups of people probably go to church every Sunday. But Jesus says they are very different people. And he compares them to two very different home builders. One builder took the easy route. He quickly built his house on top of the ground. The other took a much longer, more expensive, more difficult path, carefully digging deep to lay a foundation on bedrock before building the house upon it. And when the weather was good and the the sun was shining and the, the gentle breezes blew, both houses looked terrific. I'm guessing at that point, the builder who took the easy route would have been feeling good about all the time and the money and the sweat that he saved by not bothering with the foundation. But the sun doesn't always shine, does it? Right? It rains sometimes. And Jesus said, for both of these builders, the storms came and the flood waters rose and those waters crashed against these homes. And guess what? Only one survived. Right, the house that was built on the firm foundation survived. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Meanwhile, the house with no foundation was utterly destroyed. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. 
point is simple. Come here and do. This is a solid foundation for a life that will survive storms and floods. Come here and don't do is a recipe for a life that will be utterly devastated when the storms come and the floodwaters rise. So given the importance of this, let's think about what it means to come here and do. To build our life on a firm foundation, we have to first come to Jesus by faith. It's not adequate to come to Jesus out of respect for his wisdom or to honor his morality or to applaud his courage as some revolutionary. We have to come to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, trusting in him for our salvation. Now, why is that? Because we are deeply sinful people and we need help. We might hate to admit it, but we are all selfish, we are prideful, we are hurtful, we are rebellious, we want things our way, we are willing to plow over, manipulate, control, or change people to get what we want. We want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives, and and we don't care what anyone else thinks, particularly God. And this is our natural state, as the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are each drawn to some particular sin or set of sins, right? Yours may well be different from mine, but it exists. And what we all try to do in common is try to excuse away our sins by claiming, eh, it's not that bad. Eh, it doesn't really hurt anybody. Eh, it's just how I'm made. So it's got to be okay. But the consistent message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation from beginning to end is that sin is sin and all sin separates us from the perfectly beautiful and righteous and holy and good God who created us. All sin carries with it the penalty of death. That to deal with it, to make it go away, something innocent has to die to pay off that penalty for our rebellion against God's will. Romans 6.23 affirms, for the wages of sin is death, but it offers us this encouragement, doesn't it? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, how does that work? How is this possible? possible because Jesus Christ is the eternal, the holy, the innocent, the perfect, almighty Son of God, whom God sent into this world to to show us how to live and then to die for us as the infinite and perfect sacrifice needed to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. It is his terrible, excruciating, horrific, and profoundly sacrificial death that we are soon going to be remembering as we gather around the Lord's table to observe the Lord's Supper. But we celebrate that in His great love, God did this for us while we were still actively in rebellion against His desire for our lives. Right? Romans 5.8 celebrates what God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we have to remember nobody automatically receives the benefit of that sacrifice. It's not applied to all. Every person has to choose for themselves. Will they embrace 
this sacrifice by coming to Jesus and believing in him as Lord and Savior. Right? We come to Jesus by rejecting our past sins and embracing his death and resurrection. Right? Romans 10 concludes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we come by faith, to Jesus, we receive forgiveness for our sins. We gain everlasting life in the presence of God. But, but here's the thing, genuine faith, right? The faith, the kind of faith that really saves is not about a one-time embrace of Jesus. Because Jesus said that a life built on a firm foundation involves coming, hearing, and doing. Hearing and doing what he said. We must hear, we must study and know what Jesus actually said. Remember verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. And so as you know, this is our five to thrive here, right? Five things that we highlight as the pattern for 2,000 years for discipleship. We're trying to make it clear what is historically associated with growing and thriving as a follower of Jesus Christ. And hearing is all in those, it's sort of concentrating the top three elements. So come and worship with us regularly. Every time you do, you will hear us proclaim through our preaching and our praying and our singing the things that Jesus said. And by that, I mean both the red letter words he spoke while walking this earth and every other word in the Bible that is inspired by his spirit. And hearing is why we emphasize that, that second element of practicing personal spiritual habits. Because whether you are 6 or 16 or 66 or 106, you need to make time to hear and read the Bible every day. We have got helpful reading plans in print or through our app. You can pick them up in the back. They're great for helping you get started and stay on track. Meditate on Scripture, memorize Scripture, and, and we got a little contest that goes on every month just to incentivize you to, to memorize and share the Word. And then there's that third element, study God's Word in a small community. And these, these three elements are each different ways to help us hear regularly the words of Jesus, and they're each important because they, they work in our hearts and minds in different ways. And our growth in Christ will likely be limited if we are neglecting any one of them on an extended basis. And let's be honest, right? If we really have come to Jesus Christ as our Lord, we should absolutely want to hear what he said. Right? Because he's our boss, he's our Lord, he's our king. We want to know his will, his vision, his words for our lives. We toss that phrase, Lord and Savior, around all the time in the evangelical church. But, but if you're not eager to hear what Jesus said, either you've never really heard what he said, or he isn't really seriously the Lord of your life. I want to let that sink in for a minute. Okay, so so far we have talked about coming and hearing, right? Important, critical things, but realize... Coming and hearing describes both of the groups of people in today's parable. So what's the difference? The key difference between building on a firm foundation 
And building on sand is about choosing to do what we hear. Now, let's be clear. We are saved by faith alone. Praise God for that. All right, we can't add anything to our salvation by doing good things. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are crystal clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I just thank God every day that it's by grace and not by works. But genuine faith, the faith that actually saves us from our sins and gives us eternal life, will always, always, always move us to obedient action. You see, Paul concludes the very next verse, Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Doing what Jesus said is absolutely critical. James 1, 22 to 24 gives us a wonderful illustration of what it means if we're, if we're all good at collecting Bible knowledge and we're not so good at doing what the Bible says to do. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. All right, what a, what a flake, right? You spend a bunch of time staring at yourself in a mirror, and then the second you turn away, you have no idea what you just saw. But that's what happens when we hear and we don't do. So let's, let's be blunt. Right? If you are all about Jesus, but you are not all about what Jesus said regarding justice and mercy for the poor, or love for the unlovable, or kindness to the unworthy, or forgiveness for the unforgivable, or radical change in your own life and habits and behaviors, then you're lying to yourself because you aren't really all about Jesus. So let's go back to five to thrive. Those bottom two elements are emphasizing the doing part, right? Getting busy for the work of God that he prepared for each and every one of us beforehand. How great is that? Right? God prepared good works for us to do beforehand. Before we existed, he prepared them for us to do. Serving in ministry and sharing our faith by inviting people to join us here and investing in lives with the love of God and conversing on spiritual matters that share our hope. This is about disciple-making ministry. It's about God's will for each one of us and the, and the significance and the meaning and purpose that we have in our lives as Christians, all of us. This is where we get serious about being the lighthouse. And we've always got exciting opportunities, but we've got a couple I want to highlight that start this week. Because beginning on Wednesday, we want everybody to be praying for our community, and particularly for those who do not yet share our hope. So for 40 days leading up to Palm Sunday, we're going to be praying through Seek God for Our City 2019. Starts Wednesday, you get a printed version in the back, or far more convenient in my opinion, you can download the app for 99 cents out of the Apple App Store or Google Play. And then it'll give you notifications and reminders to pray and what to pray for and what to pray about and all kinds of additional resources. 
So we want everyone to get involved praying for these 40 days for our city, for our community. And on top of that, we're going to be starting prayer walking groups this week to get out and be praying for our community. Home by home, school by school, business by business. I'm going to start leading groups every Wednesday afternoon. Ruth Anderson is going to be leading groups on Sunday. There's information in your newsletter, but you can talk to Ruth, you can talk to me. What we really hope is that, that others, you know, first of all, you might join us, but also that you might feel like starting a group of your own on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday so that this community is getting prayed over all throughout the week. That you would walk or drive around your community praying for the schools, for the homes, for the businesses, and most importantly, for the advancement of God's kingdom. Because if Jesus is indeed our Lord, we need to be sharing that reality, but we also need to be living that reality. We need to be surrendering our control and authority over our lives to him and doing what he told us to do. Because that's how we build our life on a firm foundation. And so we come back to that bottom line I shared earlier, right? Build your life on Christ and his commands. It is only as we come here and do that we are actually making Jesus our Lord. You see, in contemporary evangelical culture, it's pretty easy to say Jesus is our Savior. We come and we celebrate, or we come and we hear and we embrace what Jesus has done for us, what he continues to do for us, but it's a whole lot harder. And I mean this from personal experience, personal struggle. It's a whole lot harder to let go of our lives and make him our Lord by taking seriously the things he said for us to do and working diligently with the help of the Holy Spirit to really do them. But that's what Lord means, right? Lord means that we make Jesus our boss and we work every day to better understand his teachings and live by them. And friends, this matters. All right, so I want you to think long and hard about this, right? If you're stuck at home on a code red tomorrow because of another code red day by rain, because there's so much cold rain, Prince William has to cancel schools again. Or if you have to go to work, either way. I want you to think long and hard about this, whether Jesus is truly your Lord. Right? Not the Savior, I feel good about that for you. But is he your Lord? Because this matters. Why does it matter? Because storms will come. Right? We each build our lives on something. Many of us have lovely, comfortable, wonderful, suburban lives built on something. But there is only one firm foundation for life that will hold together when the storms come, and that is Christ and his commands. You see, we have been taught systematically by our culture that if we build our lives on the teaching of the Bible, that we'll be weird, we'll be old-fashioned, we'll be joyless, we'll be out of it and unpopular and unprepared to handle real modern life. But it's a lie. It's actually our postmodern American culture that builds on a shaky ground with no real foundation. 
many of us, Christians included, have bought into the lie that we should build our lives on a foundation of education or accomplishments or career or physical attractiveness or good health or human relationships or financial status or social standing. And we work so hard to build lives on these things. Right? We, we labor for years to build on that career or on that degree or on that marriage or on that family or that portfolio or our popularity. And we strive and we sweat because we think we're building on solid ground, but we are not because the flood comes. When things change, when these things change, or when the world changes around us, as it so often does, these things get washed away. Friends, we are living in an era of unprecedented, continuous, economic, industrial, scientific, cultural, and social, not just change, but upheaval. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. If you think it is, you're lying to yourself. And so that means that the things the world tells us to build our lives on are not stable. They are simply not going to last. When the flood comes, whether it's corporate downsizing or, or greening the workforce, which if you've never heard that phrase, it is a euphemism for the reason that you will suddenly find yourself with no job and no prospects 10 years earlier than you plan to retire. When the stock market turns down or Amazon destroys your small business. When your job is automated or outsourced and you discover your education is obsolete. When you get a devastating diagnosis or a crippling injury, your body begins failing long before your mind does, or, or an unexpected tragedy takes place. A life that was built on the promises and foundations that the world has recommended will be utterly washed away. Education, ambition, career, money, marriage, family, accomplishment, none of these are bad things. But none of them are a viable foundation on which to build your life when the floodwaters rise. Only a relationship with and obedience to Jesus Christ equips us to survive the storms of life. Let's be clear. Obedience to Christ does not mean the floods won't come. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they are lying to you. The floods will come. If you have never experienced a flood, be grateful. But know that one will come. Obedience to Christ means that when the flood comes, you have what it takes to survive with your life still standing and to come out stronger on the other side, closer to God, praising and glorifying Him. A life built on Christ and His commands, let us rejoice as James commands in James 1, 2-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is only possible when you build your life on Christ and His commands. If your identity is in Christ, then when the flood comes, you will survive and ultimately thrive, 
though it's going to hurt like crazy in the middle of it. But if your identity is in your work, your marriage, your kids, your health, your wealth, you won't survive a flood that washes those things away. All you will have is debris and rubble to try and figure out how to pick up and put together again. Build your life on Christ and his commands because no flood water will ever wash Jesus away. Build your life on Christ and his commands because Jesus promised us in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. Build your life on Christ and his commands for in him we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin, let us in with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Verse 46 asks an incredibly important question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Jesus is asking that question of many, many Christians in America today. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Jesus might be asking you that question right now. If Jesus is asking you this question, what do you need to change about your life to respond in obedience? Where do you need to stop living on a false foundation and rebuild the very foundation of your life on Jesus Christ and his commands? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Please pray with me. Lord God, your kindness and your grace and your mercy are overwhelming. Despite our rebellion, you sent your son to sacrifice himself and to to die for us that we may be freed from sin and death. Lord, we are convicted in our hearts by these words of Jesus because we say we love him. And much of the time we mean it, but other times we love ourselves more. And so we don't do what he has told us to do. Father God, reveal to us the sin in our hearts, the places we've held back and and built on a false foundation of doing what we feel like, doing what the world told us was a good idea to do. Lord, reveal how we need to rebuild our lives on a foundation of faith and obedience. Hear us now, Lord, as we confess to you our failure to obey. Hear us now, Lord, as you 
as we just cry out and ask for you to reshape our lives, as we commit to you to rebuild on a foundation of Jesus Christ and His commands. Give us the strength and the power to do that. Father God, as we prepare to remember and celebrate what your Son did for us, don't let us be those people who cry, Lord, Lord, but don't do what he told us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.